you again because I'm just making sure that you weren't fibbing the first time. Everybody's still glad. That's good. I'm also glad to be here this morning. And I want us to open our Bibles to the book of 2 Timothy. This morning, we're going we're gonna to be honest here. and We're going to just read what the Word has to say about uh, those that you let in your life to speak into your life, about the teachers in your life, about the leaders in your life, about the pastors in your life. And we want to open our hearts to hear what God has to say. You know, it's, it's not unusual in this day and age for those that don't believe to make themselves feel better about not believing by convincing themselves that it's all a scam. And I don't know if you've ever run across this, maybe on YouTube or something. If you're scrolling YouTube for some inspiration, you're looking in the wrong place, shut it down, uh, because you tend to find more trash than anything there. And if you dredge up the comments, it's even worse. Uh, but, you know, you can make anything sound true if you, if, you, if you put it in, if you put the clips in the right order and you put the right sort of dramatic music or, or text, you can convince anybody of anything. I mean, you could convince the you could you could make a convincing case that that Stephen Harper is the Sasquatch, and that's that he's just masquerading as a prime minister. If you do the right cuts, if you trim up what he says just right, and uh, you put some dramatic music, people will buy into it. I know you may not believe that, but I'm telling you, it's true. It's sad. It's true. But when you're in this world and you, and you talk to people and you understand that that's out there, you'll, you'll run into some people that are convinced that uh, this gospel that we believe in is, uh, you know, they, they're trying to convince themselves that it can't be real. Because if it is real, they've got to come to a decision. If it's real, they've got to make a choice. They'd rather believe it's not real and it's all just a giant scam. Unfortunately, there are a few. And I mean a few, but there are a few knuckleheads who've made it easier to believe that because they've made it into a scam. You know, when we've been reading 2 Corinthians, you see the perspective of the Apostle Paul, right? You see him talk about how precious the gospel is. You see him talk about how his love for the church. But you also see him talk about somebody, a group of people he calls the false apostles. And the reason he calls them false apostles isn't because they got a couple things wrong. It's because they're there for the, all the wrong reasons. They're fakes. They're scam artists. And he's warning the church to be careful about this. Now, the reason is, is not because, you know, we don't want to be professional scam hunters. We don't want to be professional uh, critics. What we want to be are people that love the truth. We want to be people that love the Word. We want to be people that are able to open up our hearts to the preaching of the Word, to the ministry of the Word, to the ministry of teaching, to the ministry uh, of fellowship. We want to open our hearts. And in order to open your heart, you have to have some level of trust. And in order to have some level of trust, you've got to know the difference between a sheep and a wolf, a shepherd and a wolf. You've got to know these differences. And so today I'd like to read from you just for a moment. Well, more than a moment, to be honest. I don't want to mislead you here. But 2 Timothy, and we're going to go from a couple places in Scripture, uh, a couple places in, in the two letters to Timothy. And if you're, if you're hungry, 
uh, maybe a place in Amos. 2 Timothy 3 speaks about the time we live in right now. In verse 1 it says, But realize this, and then in the last days, difficult times will come. There'd be no poverty if the women in charge, the planet would be healed. And I love you, I love women, but I just don't think it's that simple. And I, I just, I think that, you know, men have messed things up, but I, I think humanity's messed things up. I think that's the big issue, right? So when it says, when it says men will be lovers of self, don't say, aha, I knew it. I've been saying that the whole time. My husband is selfish, and I've been telling him it's just his nature. But now I've got scripture to prove it. You don't. In the last days, let's just say humans, <laughs> people will be lovers of self. In our celebrity culture, does that sound so unfamiliar? Lovers of self, I mean, come on. Time Magazine, I don't remember what year it was. It was just a few years ago. I remember Time Magazine put out a, you know, they put the person of the year out. And it was only a few years ago that Time Magazine's cover was a mirror. Person of the year was you. And boy, that, that, that edition sold well. I mean, people like that. I, me, I'm on the cover. I can barely see it in this weird little mirror, but yeah, yeah, I'm on the cover because we've, uh, we're in an age of self-promotion. It says people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. Does that sound familiar? Sure does. Boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. Boy, is it, is it strange to see the word ungrateful stuck right next to unholy? In a culture that, that puts gratitude way low on the totem pole, God doesn't put it down there. Ungrateful, unholy, unloving. And that's, that unloving is at the middle for a reason. It's kind of the core of a lot of this. Because if you're unloving, if you're not loving God and loving your neighbor, if you don't have that right love from God, and you don't recognize his love for you, and you don't recognize that love to him and to others, then you will love the wrong things. You'll end up loving money. You'll end up loving yourself instead of, instead of God and others. But here's what it says. Unloving, irreconcilable. Boy, I wish I'd never had to deal with this word. Especially in the church. Wouldn't that be nice? Irreconcilable means that you've got to be with somebody and you just refuse to deal with it. You just won't, you won't, you won't, you'll just... That strife, that bitterness is there, and it's, it's not going anywhere, and you're unwilling to bend on it. Irreconcilable, and that comes from that unloving, doesn't it? Because love covers a multitude of sins. Irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control. Oh, we could talk for a long time about without self-control. Brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. It's like he took a time machine here. <laughs> lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. We live in a culture that says if it feels good, that's the right thing to do. But here we see that instead of this loving, now, now know, know this, that we sang a song today, my delight is in you. When you really begin to love God and you let him love you as he's always loved you. 
And when you receive that love and you love them back and there's that love for God and that fear of God, and I mean the godly fear, I don't mean being scared of God, I mean a reverence for Him, then what happens is you will find pleasure in Him. In fact, if the Scripture talks about in His presence there are pleasures everlasting. That, that this, is a, this really is the true meaning of what you were created for. But this is a different type of pleasure. This is just making your flesh feel good rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness that could otherwise be translated holding to a form of religion. It's funny to think in the midst of this big chapter, this big paragraph of all this rotten stuff that he sticks dead religion right in there too. Holding to a form of religion, but here, look at this. But denying, they have denied its power. So religion without the power of God is dead. And it's right there with being irreconcilable. It's right there with uh, being a lover of self and a lover of money. It's right there with it. It is, is undesirable to God. And look what it says. Avoid such men, such as these. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses. Boy, that doesn't sound good. Always learning. And never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Once again, he is reading our mail. Always learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. We have information everywhere around us. It is so easy to obtain. It, 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 we have more information gathered, exponentially more, than any civilization in history. Whether you're talking about the availability of of uh, post-secondary education, whether you're talking about the fact that you've just got clicks away, you've got information. And yet you can, tr you can learn, 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 and apply all this to your brain, and yet never come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, I don't want you to get depressed here, because it gets better. <laughs> but not yet. Verse 8, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men of depraved mind rejected in regard to the faith. Now, he has shifted here. You may not have noticed it, but he shifted from talking about most people to a group of people who have a little bit of sway. He's talking about, and I believe he's talking about, and he'll, it'll bear it out in the next few verses. He's talking about some folks that have got some uh, position to speak. They've got a, a pulpit. They've got a platform to speak. He says, don't worry about them. Because in verse 9, it says, but they will not make further progress. For their folly will be obvious to all, just as Jonathan Jambres' follies was also. Those two, and I'm probably mispronouncing their names almost definitely because in Hebrew you don't even say the J. But they were Egyptian, so maybe I'll ask we'll see. Those were the two magicians that opposed Moses. When Moses and Aaron came in, and uh, you'll recall uh, there were different things that, and signs and wonders that God did to, to show the Egyptians and to Pharaoh that he was a God of might, he was a God of power, and to let his people go. These two came with counterfeit signs and wonders. In fact, when 
Aaron threw down his rod. Moses told them to throw down his rod. And, and, and these two had thrown down their rods, and their, they, their rods turned into snakes, just like Aaron's had. But then something cool happened. Aaron's snakes ate their snakes. And to the Egyptians, that was a sign of one God whooping up on the other. Now, there was no other God. These were false gods. But yet, these guys had some element of some sort of sway and power, whether it was all illusion or whether they had some real demonic power, they were an issue. But in the end, the power of God always trumps the counterfeit. You see, the people he's talking about here have some flash. They have some game. They've got some signs and some wonders, but they don't hold up to the genuine power of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, I'm not going to repeat everything. But in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he's telling us about all these people that are going to be an issue. He's talking about normal people, what the culture is going to be like. And then he begins to talk about what the leaders are going to be like, the lying signs and wonders. Then we learn that just like those two Egyptian magicians that opposed Moses, just like they failed, so these will fail also. He said they will make no further progress. And as I was saying, with counterfeit, uh, you know, counterfeit teachers, a counterfeit preachers, a counterfeit religion, the problem is some people will see that and they'll say, see, it's all fake. You know, I've, I've, I, you've, you know, I, I've heard of, uh, you know, turned on late night TV when I was in, in, in the States and, and, uh, you know, it was late night Christian TV, so I thought I was safe, right? You know, you, it's, pro- it's often not smart to turn on late night TV just anywhere, but it was Christian TV, so we thought it was safe. And I remember looking and going, whoa, this is just weird. And it was, it was just some guy that was preaching what we might be used to preaching, except, I mean, he was telling people they could be healed, and boy, I believe that. He's telling people God would heal them. I believe that. But you could just know, and and you know, you believers who have the Holy Spirit in you, you'll know, instantly knew this wasn't of God. And if you didn't know right away, it was soon confirmed because he began to tell you for this amount of money, you'll get this piece of cloth, you'll get this special water, and this will give you your healing. And oh my goodness, he's selling, he's selling it now. Oh yeah, this special piece of water. This water came out of my bathroom, this sanctified bathroom. I prayed over it. And unfortunately, I've met some unbelievers or even some Christians that say, see, it's all a scam. But I can't, as hard as I might try, and I don't try, but as hard as I, if I wanted to, I cannot argue. I can't argue with the signs and wonders that we've seen right before our eyes that nobody manipulated. There were no tricks. There were no games. It just... God did it. It was undeniable. And I remember the first time my father went to the Philippines and, and uh, he was preaching in a village that, that was not familiar with the gospel. And as he began to preach, there was, and we have pictures of it still, and it's one of my favorite pictures of dad. And, and he's with a translator there. 
And there's just a crowd of people that just basically, I think they were standing on a truck. It wasn't a church. There was no church there. It wasn't a basketball court. It was just a truck. And there's just a swarm of people gathered around. And when he would tell the story of that meeting, it was so cool because, you know, there was no like special lighting or mood music. It was just preaching the gospel. But he wasn't even able to finish because as he's preaching the gospel, a lady in the crowd begins to scream. And everyone knows her. She has been stone, stone blind, could not see a thing, and all of a sudden she can see. Nobody said, hey, why don't you come up here? Let's pray for you. It, there wouldn't be anything wrong with that, but nobody even did that. She could just see. Hadn't had time to pray for the lady. She didn't know that that was something that uh, would have happened. She just showed up. Well, then there's other ladies and people that have these goiters on their neck that are disappearing in front of their neighbor's eyes. Praise the Lord. Boy, that's more than adrenaline, isn't it? (laughs) That's more than emotional manipulation. That's the power of God. So for every counterfeit, you see, counterfeit always has to go off something. And the enemy would love to counterfeit the true power of God so that, number one, it, 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 it uh, dilutes it, it leads people astray, and it, it knocks the credibility. But like I've said to you so many times, this is, I mean, you've heard me say it many, many times. Remember when Lloyd Minster, you know, you'd go through the drive throughs and they say, we no longer accept $100 bills. And I was wondering, you know, who's the guy that's pulling out a $100 bill and paying for a, a Wendy's chicken sandwich, you know? <laughs> take, it out of, take it out of the $100 bill. But we don't, we don't accept $100 bills anymore or 50s. And uh, it's probably you oil guys, right? You're just loaded with cash. <laughs> But the reason they had to stop accepting this is there's so many counterfeit bills going around. But you know, as many counterfeit bills were going around, you don't say, that's it, I'm done with paper money. I'm done with money altogether. Too many fakes out there. I'm done, I'm going cashless. You don't do that, right? And, And we've heard it over and over again. If you worked at a bank, what do you do? They train you to recognize the difference between a counterfeit and the real thing. And instead of instead of every week bombarding you with every possible counterfeit there might be out there and saying, memorize this, they don't do that. What they do is familiarize you with the real thing. And if you know the real thing, you'll recognize a fake. So instead of you going out and reading all the books you can read about all the false teachings and all the cults and all the, the, the wrong things out there, why don't you focus for a while on the truth and you'll know the truth and you'll know the voice of the shepherd and you won't fall for the counterfeits. It says that their folly will be evident to all. In verse 10, now, now watch. He's talked about the fakes, the scammers, the schemers. But watch this. Now he switches it and he says, now you followed my teaching. Conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured and out of them all, praise God, out of them all, the Lord.
Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There's good news for you right there. But evil men, uh-oh, we're back to the evil guys. But evil men and imposters, look at that word closely, imposters. Who do you think they are trying to impersonate? Who, do they, who are they uh, being an imposter of? They're being an imposter of the true apostles, the true pastors, the true teachers. They're trying to, they're, they're, they're trying to put themselves in positions of teaching and authority. And he says, but these evil imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving. And here's the scary part, being deceived. And the truth is, and just to be straight with you, most of the people that deceive don't even know they're doing it anymore. Done it for so long, they've convinced themselves. But now, let's turn back to the good. You, however, continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them. I want you to go back and read, and we're going to combine what we just read with something we read earlier. He said, you have followed my teaching, but he doesn't just stop there. He says, you followed my teaching, you followed my conduct. You followed my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my perseverance, my persecutions and sufferings. Then here he says, you continue in the things you've learned to become convinced of knowing from whom you've learned them. And here's an important thing. The apostle Paul's saying it's important that you know the one you're learning from. It's important, and I'm going to tell you, I've got nothing against, praise God, I'm thankful for, for some of those programs on Christian television. They brought the gospel to people that would never hear it. If it weren't for Christian television, my mother-in-law would still be suffering from a condition that wouldn't allow her to leave the house. If she just smelled just a touch of lotion or shampoo, she would, she would be filled with, with such pain that she'd want to scream and run away. And her church told her that God didn't do that kind of stuff anymore. Well, he might, but you never know when. And she happened to turn on a program where there was a, a, a pastor from her state that was preaching, and he told her that she could be well. She believed it, and she was. It wasn't long till her husband came along, too, and was healed of an incurable disease, hepatitis C. Incurable, he was healed from it. His blood is clean to this day. Doctor proved. And it was all because they somebody was preaching on television. So I'm not against that. But I will say this. It's important that you know who you learn from. And it's probably a good idea that you know them beyond just what they put on a program. Because you know what? That's, that's produced. You can put what you want them to see. I'm, I'm, I, I love some of those men and women. I'm thankful they're on TV. But it's important that you know who you learn from, that you see something beyond the program. And I'm saying this as a pastor, realizing that I'm opening myself up here. But I want to tell you, it's important that you know if you go to this church, it's important that you can observe the leaders' lives. Not just mine, but other people in leadership, that you observe their lives and you observe that they are, in fact, doing what they preach, that they're living the life out. We are humans, we're not perfect, but there should be fruit in somebody's life, and it will keep you from a world of hurt. 
because you know you can produce a nice, beautiful program full of, of nice things that make you think, well, this person couldn't possibly tell me a lie. But the truth is, he says here, you've known me. You saw my patience. You saw my perseverance. You saw my faith. You saw my love. You even saw how I handled persecution. And he said, the things you've learned and observed, he said, you know who you learned them from. So the Apostle Paul is saying, I let myself be known by you. I let myself be seen so that you could trust what I said because I proved it out. I walked it out. And that's important, guys. And look what he says. And from childhood, you've known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Watch this. All scripture. All scripture, everybody believe that? Yeah. All scripture is inspired by God. That literally means God breathed. All scripture is God breathed and all scripture is profitable. There's not one bit that's not profitable to you. All scripture is God breathed. All scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So that the man of God, praise God, you consider yourself a man or a woman of God? Boy, I got to hear better than that. We may need to keep you till two. Do you consider yourself a man or a woman of God? You don't have to be both. It's okay. You could just be one of those. Man or woman of God so that you would be adequate and equipped for every good work. The word of God is able to equip you for every good work and every bit of it's profitable. You say, well, well, did some of it pass away? It's important that you understand the difference between the new covenant and the old covenant. It's important that you understand what Jesus fulfilled. It's important to understand that you're no longer under the old covenant law and, and rituals and sacraments. It's important that you know that. But yet you can still go back in the old covenant, read it through the light of Jesus, read it through the revelation of this side of the cross and be blessed by it because you're under a new covenant now. And you can see that the same God that's the God of, of grace today has always been. And it's wonderful to see that. But here's the deal. Thank God. I don't get too far off. Here's the deal. And I realize that this is different message today but you know what as a pastor you can't just preach all your favorite stuff you gotta you gotta you gotta make sure that people are hearing the truth because i do believe all scripture is profitable so i want to preach it all and i think it's important today that as a, as a pastor i'm able to uh, to share with you and many of you know this well that's important who you hear from. It's important who you learn from. It's important what you let in your ears. Because he said in the last day, there will be more imposters than ever. There'll be more fakers than ever. There'll be more scammers than ever. And the reason I tell you this is not that you would just be on your guard all the time, just looking around the corner for the next false guy. The reason I'm telling you this is so that you'd fall in love with the truth. The reason I'm telling you this is so that you don't see the fake and run away and say, well, I just don't want any of it. That's the last thing you need. When you see somebody that, that is, is faking the presence of God, you'll know it because you'll know the real presence of God. 
When you see somebody that does false, you know, just manipulates and makes it look like a sign and a wonder, you'll know because you've seen real signs and wonders. And you won't be fooled because the spirit, uh, that Holy Spirit, that discerning spirit is inside of you. I think it's important that you know that God is calling you to be a lover of truth, not a critic. Because in all of this, I want you to be discerning, but I don't want you to turn into a critic. And I'm not saying that to cover my own self. I'm telling you that because I've met the critics. These are the guys that love, they love going on the websites that talk about all the the false teachings. They, I mean, I remember I used to work at a Christian bookstore. There would be those that would head every time they came in this store, head straight for the cult section. <laughs> and you know, when they got done with those books, they turned to the Christian living section and they'd say, I bet I can find some cults in here. And you know, you're in trouble when you open a book and you get happy when you find something wrong. You're in a bad place. And these guys exist. I'm telling you, I've met them. I know them. They're the ones that are listening to something and they buy the CD just to find out what's wrong with it. They watch the show just to write a new blog about it. And, and as soon as they see something wrong, their eyes light up like they found a treasure. And guess what? They will always find something wrong. Whether it's there or not, they'll find it. He, the guy could preach a perfect message. He could preach from the, in the power of the Holy Spirit, the unadulterated word of God in all of its glory, and God could move in that place, and that guy would find something terribly wrong and claim it was all heresy. So I don't want you to turn into that. Because here's what the scripture says. It says, don't despise prophecy. Now, why would you despise prophecy? Well, you might despise prophecy when you start saying, there's so many people faking out there. Like the church that he wrote that to. There have been people getting up and just saying whatever they wanted to say. And pretty soon the church just, you know, somebody get up and grab the mic and they'd all roll their eyes. They're all great. This is what God's saying. Sure, it's what God's saying. And he says, don't despise prophecy. Don't take it lightly. But he says this, but examine everything carefully and what he says next is so important I want you to hear it examine everything carefully hold fast to what is good I don't say examine everything carefully and write a blog about all the wrong stuff I said examine everything carefully what do you hold on to what's good you see what you're doing is you're looking for the good you're a treasure hunter you're looking for the gold you're not looking for the trash now, there's just some messages, there's just some things out there that are so full of trash. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's a fish that's so full of bones, it's just not worth it. Anybody caught those kind of fish before? <laughs> my, my mother and father came from the south, and my dad was, you know, used to go out to the pond and fish and catch catfish and stuff. And you know, when we tell people here that we like catfish, most people here are thinking like Manitoba catfish and stuff. And they just go, Ooh, you eat that stuff. But it really is a delicious fish. Uh, I've never had a Canadian catfish. I grew up, I am born and raised in Canada, but I've never eaten a Canadian catfish because I don't think anybody just serves it. But I, we have had it lots in the South. And you know, the great thing about the South is at least in, in the 
day and age when my dad was growing up, my mom too, was that you could be poor, but there was always somebody poorer than you. And so you always just had this idea, we're poor, but we're not that poor. I mean, <laughs> you could be flossing with weeds, but there's always somebody worse off. And so I remember asking my dad, I said, Dad, were you, were you, was your family poor? He goes, oh, yeah, but they didn't think like that. They thought of themselves as the great southern aristocrats because there was always somebody that was more poor. And so, you know, they, they go and, you know, they need some supper, so they go and catch some bottom-feeding catfish. But yet, if they caught a gar, they'd throw it back because gar is what the real, real poor people ate. And we're better than that. Because the gar were so full of bones that it was almost not worth it because by the time you got the bones out, there was barely anything left. So we may not have much, but we have our dignity and we don't eat gar. <laughs> and sometimes there's a book or a teaching or a show that's got so, it's, it's a gar. It's got so much bones, you don't need to waste your time on it. You, you know, you can say, I bet there's something good I can get out of it. Yeah, there's probably something good you can get out of doing laundry. Just, you know, <laughs> move on to something that's a little bit more profitable. But let's turn to 1 Timothy 3 for a minute. And I want you to see, because this is important that you know this. We don't teach on church government very often, but it's important that you know the qualifications for those that, te that stand up here and that teach you and that, that lead you and have a position in your life. In 1 Timothy 3, he says, it's a trustworthy statement if any man aspires to the office of overseer. Now, an overseer could be somebody that oversees, uh, you know, uh, especially during the, the time of persecution, there might be a, a bunch of small groups meeting in different homes because they couldn't meet publicly. And so the overseer might uh, be in, kind of overseeing all those churches, or it could be a pastor of one church. But this overseer, it says it's a good thing for someone to aspire to that office. It's a fine work he desires to do. He says an overseer then must be above reproach. That means you know, he's not even giving anybody room to say something bad. He's keeping his life in such a way that the world can't, no can't knock your church because of that guy. The husband of one wife, which means that uh, I've read many commentaries that say the best way to, to translate this in our vernacular would to be not a ladies' man. He's a one-woman man, so he's not, he doesn't have his wife, and then he's looking at other women. He is sold out to that one woman that he has. Now, he could be like the Apostle Paul and not be married at all. But if he is married, he's not a ladies' man. He's not flirting all the time. He's not looking around. He is dedicated to his wife. Temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious. Do you know what pugnacious is? Always wanting to start a fight. Always wanting to punch somebody. Just kind of wanting to, always picking a fight. You know, you've met those guys that are just, they ask those questions and they, the way they look at you, you know as soon as they ask them, they're just wanting you to say something so that they can start the argument. He says, not pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. And boy, as, as Billy Graham once said, if you get your relationship with money right, a lot of the other stuff will come into line. If you're in love with money, it messes a lot of stuff up. And if you've got a leader that's in love with money, here's the problem. You become 
not somebody that they're there to minister to. You're somebody that's there for them. You've gone from being people that God sent to bless, for him to bless you, to an ATM. And that's not a good thing because it affects how you preach. It affects how you teach. We don't want that, do we? So it says free from the love of money. Thank God we've got a God that takes care of us so we don't have to worry about that. Look at this. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Now, if your kids are out of the house, you aren't responsible for them at that point. Now, you you still love them, you still pray for them, but this is talking about your own household. The the people that live in your house, the people that are under your care, says he should be able to, to keep them under control and not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. He must have a good reputation with those outside the church. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? So that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain. That's very similar to what we read earlier. But holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men also must also be first tested. Then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own household. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I'm delayed, I write to you so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of the truth. Now, here's a cool thing. You know, we might use this verse to tell our kids not to run in the church. You've got to know how to behave yourself in the house of God. That's very well. I do want you to tell your kids not to run in the sanctuary. But this verse isn't talking about how you behave in a building. Because he goes on to say the house of God, which is the church. Right? Because in this new covenant, God says, I don't live in buildings anymore. I live in people. And the Bible says, don't you know, and and the first time he says it's plural, applying to you as the church. Don't you know that you all are the temple of the Holy Spirit? And it's important that we know that we are the house of God. It's just important that your leaders know how to behave themselves, that we all know how to behave ourselves in the house of God. Because that house, that church is the pillar. And it's so important that you hear this. The church is the pillar and the support of the truth. In a culture that is twisted, in a culture that's messed up, the church is the pillar and the support of the truth. And we can't take that lightly. We are the light in a dark place. God has placed you. He has put his spirit in you. He has let his grace work through you so that you would stand in a dark place. And though you don't have anything to offer that you know of, he's got everything to offer. And if you'll let him, he'll use you to be a light in a dark place, a pillar when everything else falls around, that the truth in our society would be held up because there are people that refuse to bow. That's so big. And it's important. And so you can see now why he stresses that it's important that the leaders meet a certain standard because they're the ones that are teaching. 
They're the ones that are in some authority here. And it says, these are indicators in your life. These are some indicators in your life that you're either walking in subjection to the spirit or you're walking after your own plans and ideas. And he says, look out for these things. And I think it's important. He put it in the Bible. And we just read that all scripture is profitable, right? So don't read this and go, I'm not supposed to read this. This is for Timothy. He was a pastor. He's allowed to read it, but not for somebody like me. No, God gave you the book. He put it in your hand and he trusted you with it. There's a story in Acts chapter 8 where a man named Simon hears the gospel preached by Philip. And Philip, when he went to the Samaritans in Samaria, as he's preaching to them, there are signs, wonders, and miracles taking place everywhere. People are getting born again and radically so. It's an awesome time. But as he's preaching... Simon sees this stuff and he's just amazed. And it says that Simon believes, or at least he professes to believe. And he gets baptized. And it says he follows Philip everywhere like a little puppy dog. It doesn't say puppy dog in the scripture. It's hidden in the Greek. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> he follows him around and it says he's constantly amazed. Because Simon, can anybody tell me Simon's old job? He was a sorcerer. He was a magician. Not a magician like we see now that performs at kids' birthday parties. You know, no, he's the kind that people would go to with real issues thinking he could solve them. And he had his tricks and he had his ways of convincing him, convincing them that he had some real power. So he's pretty impressed with what Philip's got going on here. How are you doing this? So Peter comes along. And Peter, out of everybody in the New Testament church, seemed to have a nose for the fakes. He just knew. He caught Ananias and Sapphira. He sees Simon coming from a mile away. Watch what happens. If we could just turn there to Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, In verse 17, Peter came down with some of the other apostles. It says they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on the, of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Because in his world, that's how you would get power. You get a new, you get a new power, you get a new spell by buying it from somebody. So he offers them some money. In verse 19, he said, give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. There must have been some visible evidence that he could see that it was happening. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter. The literal Greek says you have no part or portion in this logos, in this word. In other words, Peter called him out for what he really was, a faker. You joined, you professed, you even went under the water, but you didn't really believe it. You just wanted to do some of these stuff too. You wanted this power. He, wasn't, he didn't fall in love with Jesus, he fell in love with the power. 
And here Peter calls it out. He says, you've got no part or portion in this matter or this word, for your heart is not right before God. You know, if he was truly saved, his heart would be right. But it says, your heart's not right before God in verse 22. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me yourselves so that nothing of what you've said may come upon me. You see this? What's he concerned about? He's not concerned that, that, that he's, he's, you know, he's in the wrong. He's not concerned that he's, he's, he's offended Jesus or anything. He's just saying, don't let that stuff happen to me. You said the word perish. I don't like that word. And then you said my silver would perish. I really don't like that. Pray for me that that stuff wouldn't happen to me. He doesn't say pray for me that my heart would be right. He doesn't say pray for me that the Lord would, would show me the way and I'd be able to walk in the truth. He says pray for me that that bad stuff wouldn't happen to me. And of course you know as well as I do that Peter is not the mediator between God and man. There is one mediator, the Bible says in Hebrews. There is one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, that same attitude that Simon had has stuck around for centuries, that we need to go to a person to mediate between us and God when Jesus is our mediator. And thank God for godly leaders. Thank God for people that you can talk to and that will pray with you and that will counsel you. But you will never find a man or a woman on this planet that is able to be your mediator in place of Jesus Christ. Thank God that we have a high priest and he has enabled you to talk to him personally. And you don't have to get somebody more spiritual than you to talk to him for you. You can go straight to Jesus. And you can go straight to Jesus and nobody gets to the Father without that. Isn't it wonderful? So in all of this, I want to show you, Simon is a faker, but you know, Peter, with the spirit of God in him, called it out. He knew it. He recognized it. And in that same thought, these same guys are still around today, but don't be obsessed with those kind of people because he says, Paul said to Timothy, their folly will become evident. You don't need to spend your life trying to you know, expose them. You don't need to spend your life trying to prove that they are not who they say they are. You just need to say, trust and pray that darkness would come to light and you hold fast to the truth. Remember what he says to Timothy, but you hold fast to what you've been taught. You've observed the ministry. You've observed, you know who you received from. And later, we read from 2 Timothy 3, but later he goes on and says, Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word, Timothy. As a young minister, and I see this a lot with other young ministers. Now, you may say, well, you're still young. Well, yeah, okay, fine. I'm in year number eight of pastoring. In, in November, it'll be eight full years that I've pastored. So I am still young, but I'm not as young as I was. And I, I remember how I used to be. You know, I noticed this with some of my young friends. Uh, you, you want to, uh, you're, you're just thinking you're the first person to realize certain things. 
you don't know that like I mean, people have preached this for a long time. It's nothing new under the sun. As long as you're preaching out of the word of God, you, you probably shouldn't be too original, right? Because if you're preaching something nobody has heard, you might be in la-la land and shouldn't be there. So, you know, I was, I was thinking, you know, I'm the first one to realize this. And I, I, I you know, I would, I'd, my first few messages would be like calling out, People say this, but here's what it really is. You know, you might have heard this, but here's what it really is. And, you know, there's just not near as much power in that because all you're doing is bashing, bashing down the false misconceptions. But I found the greatest power and the greatest, uh, you know, move of the God and the, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit flow when you are able to preach the truth. In the power of the Holy Spirit from the word of God, you preach the truth and the lies will be evident. I say this today because I know that we live in a world of fakers. I know we live in a world of scams. But don't ever, ever, ever let that deter you from the truth. You're going to find some people that do false signs and wonders. Don't let that turn you off to real signs and wonders. You're going to be, you're going to find people that manipulate the mood of a service and call it the anointing, but don't let that turn you away from the true anointing of God. You're going to find people that preach in a way that you, that turns you off because you know that they're just after, they're just after your money or they're just after this, but don't let that turn you off from the true preaching of the word. Hold fast to the truth. Don't throw, as the old saying goes, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Found out recently that's because the baby was the last one to use the bathwater. Dad got the bath first, then mom, then the kids, and the baby was the last one to get the bathwater. And so if you were in a hurry, you throw the bathwater, oops, the baby was in there. I don't think that really happened to anybody, but it could have. They used to say, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. My dad used that expression to a group of Inuit people in the Arctic, and they, he barely was able to get them back after that. They were so shocked that that, that was even a possibility that somebody would do that. <laughs> what kind of a horrible person are you that you would say that? We would never do that. Why would you suggest such a thing? That's important. Don't let the scammers get you down. Hold fast to the truth. No... Know the people you listen to. Watch their life. Observe them. Observe the fruit from their life. They're not perfect. They're not infallible. Only one infallible person that you're ever going to meet. That's Jesus Christ. But you know what? Good fruit comes from good trees. And if you can watch somebody's life and observe how they live out what they preach. I'm going to tell you, I was a pastor's kid. And many pastor's kids went down bad roads. I'm honest with you, one of the big reasons that I didn't, I mean, I still had to make my own decisions like everybody does. One of the big reasons was I observed that what was preached was practiced. I saw it lived out in my own life. I saw it lived in my home. That's why to this day, you know, I remember people saying, oh, that those guys, and they talk about, you know, there was people that never been here, but they'd talk about my dad and my mom, and they'd say, you know, oh, they're just, they're just after people's money. And I remember seeing my dad, and I'd go with him to communities 
remote communities and spend a lot of money to get there and bless the people and never get anything in return. And there were some people that just weren't even thankful. And still he'd go and he'd love them. And I knew it wasn't about the money. Because if it was about the money, he's doing a bad job at it. <laughs> but my parents always said, and it stuck with me to this day, God pays the bills. People aren't our source. God's our source. And we must hold fast to that principle that Jesus taught his disciples. Freely you've received, now freely give. You know, I learned that from a young age. And so that every time we get up and minister, you look at people not as somebody that you can get something from, but as somebody that you can get something to. That you are an instrument of God to minister something to them. And boy, that changes everything. When you pray for people and you recognize that the reason that God's healing them is because he loves them. Not because you did anything right, but because he loves them. I used to think, well, you know, God's using me because I, because I did this this week and I did this. And the truth is, God was using me because he loved that person. And that changes everything. And it's a wonderful revelation to, to know how much God loves the people that you minister to. And someday you might be this person. You might be this person we read about today. You might, you might be somebody aspiring to that office, and it's a noble thing. But I want you to know that it's not by your own strength you're going to get that done. It's not by your own ability. But if you will let God shape your life, and you will be submitted to him in every way, let your character be free from covetousness. Let it be free from the love of money. Let it be free from lust. Let you just be full of the love of God and the love of the people he's called you to, you can't go wrong. Let's hold fast to the truth this morning. Let's hold fast to the truth as we go out of here. And when somebody says, oh, you know, those people, whether they be atheists or some of those unbelieving Christians, whoever they are, they go, oh, you know, those people, you know, that's all this and it's all that. You say, oh, you just haven't met the real thing yet. Let me show you the real Jesus. Because as many times as people fail us, Jesus never will. As many hypocrites as there might be in the world, all over the world, the only person that ever lived that was never a hypocrite was Jesus Christ. Let me introduce you to him. Amen. This is a great gospel we get to preach. This is a great life we get to live. We get to live in the presence of God. We get to live knowing that his face is shining on us. We get to know that even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of, of hard things that come against you, that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And out of all these things, the Lord delivered me. Isn't that wonderful?